Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Warning! Binge Mode features adult content. Much like the show Game of Thrones, about which we are talking. If you watch Game of Thrones and you're fine with it, you'll probably be fine with this podcast. If not, the Ringer NBA show is very good. And now, Binge Mode. What is to be done with this traitor, Your Grace? My mother wishes me to let Lord Eddard join the Night's Watch. And my Lady Sansa has begged mercy for her father. But they have the soft hearts of women. So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Illyn, bring me his head. And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm yeah. Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished being a shit warrior, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Jason? I have the soft heart of women. <laughs> yes, you do. Don't we all? I think Don't we all, we all do. And the madness of mercy. That's right. Jason, this war is far from over. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one at a time. Spoiler warning for all of you, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books alike from this season and from beyond. But novices and conquerors are welcome. Strap on the armor. It's time to discuss season one, episode nine, Baylor, one of the most iconic episodes, not only of Game of Thrones, but dare we say it, of television, period. Jason, before we beg mercy for our father, let's quickly take a little trip down the King's Road, offer up a refresher on what actually happened in this episode. In the Riverlands, where a lot of things are going on, Cat brokers a marriage deal with Walder Frey, which allows Rob to cross the River Trident. Shay arrives in Tyrion's life. Right before he heads into battle, they play drinking games, and Tyrion mostly loses. Rob pulls off a split troop deception, winning triumphs over the Lannisters in the Battle of Whispering Wood, more on that later, and captures Jaime Lannister in the process. Up at the wall, meanwhile, Lord Commander Mormont gives Jon a very thoughtful present for saving his life, Longclaw, a Valerian steel sword that was supposed to be Jorah's. And then in one of the great scenes, not only of this episode, but of this season, Maester Aemon tells Jon about the importance of the Night's Watch vows and of coming to terms with the promises that you make in your life. And in the process of doing this, he shares his own story, which we will talk about a bit more later. Out in the Red Waste, Drogo's wound has turned poisonous. He falls off his horse. This was a grave sign to the Dothraki who only follow the strongest leaders, and many riders begin to abandon him then. Danny, desperate to save his life, allows Miri Mazdur to perform a blood magic ritual. And Danny, while trying to go into the tent to see what is going on, is struck and begins to go into labor. A lot of action down in King's Landing. Varys, 
visits Ned yet again in the dungeon, pleads with him, come to your senses, do what's good for the realm, recognize Joff as king. Varys believes that if Ned does this, Cersei will let Ned take the black and live out his life up at the wall. He really implores Ned to think not just of himself, because Ned, as he says, is not afraid of dying, but of his children, of Sansa, who is under Cersei's control at the moment. This clearly has an impact on Ned because ultimately he does choose to confess uh, and say things that he does not believe. He says that Joffrey is king, that he conspired against him, and it doesn't make a difference in the end because Joff, (laughs) that piece of human fucking garbage, has Ned executed with his own sword, ice, another Valyrian seal weapon, as... Sansa, his daughter, watches up on the Sept of Baylor, and his Arya watches from out in the crowd. But they have the soft hearts of women. Say, Ellen, bring me his head. That pause when you think that he's really going to let him off. Absolutely brutal. Brutal. It's, we really can't overstate how shocking this yeah. was at the time. This is something that now, six seasons into the Game of Thrones experience, People, even people who are not book readers, just people who are pure TV viewers, have been a little bit desensitized to the kind of shocks that Thrones delivers. You just expect bad things to happen to people that you care about. But when this happened, it was stunning. People truly could not. They actually, it's not just that they couldn't believe it, it's that they didn't understand. Sean Bean was the big name on the show. How can you kill your star? And we've we've been programmed, you know, by a long history of fairy tale type stories to believe that the hero is always going to prevail and one of George's great devices is to mask who the hero really is just when you think it's that person it's not that person that person can die and it was truly a shock for people they thought that Sean Bean was the hero of the story it really recalibrated how people not only watch Game of Thrones but honestly thought about television yeah. and thought about what a story could do or would even seek to do. It forced viewers to make a certain type of compromise with their own expectations. And that gets us right to the big theme of this episode, which we will stick with the pointy end, as we always do. The defining theme of Baylor is compromise. The idea that you cannot always get what you want... You cannot always even get what you need. Sometimes you have to make a choice, a painful one, a hard one, an unpleasant one. And we see this for numerous key characters in this episode. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot more about Ned and about all of the Starks, but let's actually let's start first across the, the narrow sea. Let's talk a bit about Danny and the compromises that she has to make in this episode. A compromise between the, the, the Thraki culture and her love for Drogo. Drogo is feverish. He falls from his horse. This is basically the end for any Dothraki leader, Dothraki warrior. If you're not strong, you can't lead. And Danny, desperate, she there's even that really sad moment which she says, you know, he's so strong. They don't. No one understands how strong he is. Mm-hmm. Desperate to rekindle this strength in his body. And Jorah, under, you know, he understands. He's been embedded with these Dothraki for a long time. He understands. Shai was embedded with Jorah. <laughs> He understands that it's it's time to go because the Dothraki will turn on her. Right. They will turn on her. They'll kill her unborn child. They're going to kill 
they're going to kill Drogo. They're going to, you know, whoever wants to be the next leader of the Kalasar will start murdering people. And it's, you know, this isn't Westeros where men honor blood. They only honor strength. It's fascinating because she still is following the customs of yeah. Westeros, even though she didn't She's, actually right. grow up there. It's still ingrained in her. And she, you know, Danny is desperate, calls on Miri. You must save him. This despite warnings from Kotho, you let her put her hands on Arkal. When he dies, she is nothing. And her own dude, Ricaro, is this is blood magic. It is forbidden. He's terrified. She should have listened. The Dothraki are uh, suspicious of witches and magic and blood magic for a reason. This would have been a huge deal. The Dothraki don't have a lot of laws. They're a simple people. They don't use money, as we've heard. Mm -hmm. It's just follow the strongest person and don't get involved with witches. That's basically it. <laughs> That's, <the rules. laughs> That's it. That's it. And Danny is asking them, okay, follow this guy who fell off his horse and also let this witch mess around with her. And she's overtly agreeing to a compromise with Mary, who says there's only one way, but some would say death is cleaner. She warns her a little bit. This is yeah. blood magic. Only death pays for life. She really tried to spell it out for Danny. Danny couldn't, wouldn't was not able to listen. You know what characters on this show are, are not good at doing? What's that? Uh, listening to the things that people say to them. <laughs> to, the, to the very it clear warnings that are provided. Um, back back in, in Westeros, let's, we've got a few Starks and Snows to, to talk yep. about here. Let's start with Rob, who is rising. <laughs> he is rising. He has to start thinking, not just as a son, who is out to save his father, but as a strategic warrior right. as he's a, a symbol now he's not just a person that is brought into stark relief for him when he's forced to sacrifice some of his own personal happiness in yep. order to further the goals of his men and his troops so he has to agree to walder Frey's terms in order to secure passage across the river and filch <laughs> being Merciless and completely filthy. Is there just a disgusting quick, quick man. pause, quick, quick tangent sure. here? A little sidebar. Is there a filthier line reading in this entire show than 15 and her honey's all mine? Her honey's all mine. Kind of licks his lips a little. Very gross. <laughs> Supreme. He's got, her hand, gross. he's got his hand on her ass, too. Sure the whole does. Time. Sure does. But what are his motivations here? He feels shit upon by all of the great lords and the great houses who look down on him, who talk about him the way that we're talking about he's him a right young now. He's a, they're a young house, the phrase, and they kind of built themselves into uh, notoriety because basically they own this crossing. That's it. They didn't win right. battles. They didn't do anything. They're, they're toll keepers. Right. And what does he say to Kat? He says, your family's always pissed on me. He yeah. doesn't really mince words. Right. He's not interested in being courteous yeah. or in, in attempting to build bonds the way that normal people do, which right. is by being like friendly and, and civil. He's only interested in getting what he thinks he's owed and in finally being the one who can wield a little bit of power. So the Cat-Frey discussion reveals a really interesting tension, not only for, for these particular characters, yeah. but for all the people in Westeros. Kat says, you swore an oath to my father, because the Freys are sworn to River on Kat's house, Hoster Tully. And he says, oh yes, I said <laughs> some words, and I swore oaths to the crown too, if I remember right. So he's actually, even though he's being a huge dick, he's making a really good yeah. point, which is... He has to compromise here no matter what he decides. Right. He either has to compromise in his allegiance to his liege lord, Hoster Tully, 
or he has to compromise his oath to the crown. That's a risky move for him either way. And we're not really looking to be like sympathetic for for Filch here, but that's a big deal. He has a really great line when he's attempting to (laughs) rationalize his position. He says, if I had the sense the gods gave a fish, I'd hand you over to Tywin Lannister right now. And Kat says, why don't you? He says, Stark, Tully, Lannister, Baratheon, give me one good reason why I should waste a single thought on any of you. Now, people who have watched more of this show will know that he he does spend some time thinking about these people and does make some decisions. But ultimately, he can make the compromise that he makes in this moment when he bargains with Kat for Rob's passage because he doesn't actually give a fuck. He just doesn't give a fuck what these people think about him or about convention. But Rob doesn't have that luxury. He has to compromise basically his freedom, right? Like he has to compromise, at least in this moment, by agreeing to marry one of Frey's daughters. Did you see any of these daughters? (laughs) Some are suitable. (laughs) I think she says one. (laughs) One is suitable. Rob is going to have to marry one of Walter Frey's daughters. Arya is going to have to marry a son, and Rob is also going to have to take on Oliver. Not a, that's the least. As his That's the easiest one. Those are the terms, yeah. right? And Rob says, can I refuse? Nope. And Kat says, not if you want to cross. Rob, then I consent. Exactly, because he has to compromise his personal happiness, his personal choice for his agenda as a leader, as a ruler. This is a crucial moment because this compromise that leads to an, an imperative short-term gain. Rob has to have that river. He, he has to it. cross. Ultimately, dooms him. Short-term gain, long-term doom. We see this happen to characters over and over again, but this is like a very precise moment that we can point to for where things actually went wrong for Rob, even though it takes a while for those events to unfold. And then kind of the the, the flip side of that, though, where we see Rob savvy is when he refuses Jamie's offer of single combat yeah, after his smart. troops have captured Jamie. He's not an idiot like Ned. He's right. actually not an idiot. He understands right? his limits in a way that he shouldn't for his age and for right. his experience. You would argue, right? You have argued that this is actually one of the real tragedies of yeah. what happens to Rob is that he did kind of have what it took yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, And we see it in this moment. He's not willing to compromise by taking the shortcut or trying right. to because he knows that that doesn't favor him. Right. Good for Rob. Good for Rob. Um, He also has to compromise protecting all of his men in order to win, and he feels bad about it. He says later, I I sent 2,000 men to their graves today, but he did what had to be done. Great episode for They'll sing songs about them. (laughs) Theon. Is that your Theon? Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. What about John? Let's talk a little bit about John here, because John has some of the most gut-wrenching compromises to make, and they are also, in some ways, the most opaque. It's not a clear... Well, here's a bridge I need to cross. Here's a wound that I need someone to heal. It's about the very idea of fundamentally what matters in this life. Right. I mean, when you think about it, John has wanted a place in the Stark family for his entire life. And now here they are. They're marching to war and he can't be part of it. But the thing is, once you say those vows, you've pretty much compromised on many of life's basic elements. You're not going to have children. You're not going to own stuff. You're not going to ever leave this fucking place. Um, Sam tells John as Rob is marching to war, you know, and John says, I should be there. I should be where I should be there with him. Um, and he's already gotten the talk from Mormont about his vows and why you can't forsake them and all that kind of stuff. Master Eamon gives him 
a great talk, and it's one of the great reveals in this show where you kind of understand the other side of things, that the Targaryens weren't... The Mad King was a crazy dude who did a lot of damage, but there was a family behind him that, that loved him. He tells Jon, um, so they will not love. Love is the death of duty. If the day should ever come when your lord father was forced to choose between honor on the one hand and th those he loves on the other, what would he do? What is the honor compared to a woman's love? What is duty against the feel of a newborn son in your arms or a brother's smile? Aemon uh, was offered the kingship of the realm. He could have become uh, Aemon first of his name, but instead it passed to his, his younger brother, Egg. Um these were tumultuous times, and the reason that he went to the Citadel and eventually went to the Black was he just wanted to take himself off the board. He could have been used um, as, a, as a focus point for plots for various people who wanted to like upset the, the power balance in the realm. He took himself out of it, and he was later tested later in life when, after Robert's Rebellion, he finds out about the massacre of the children, the death of his, his relatives. I mean, it was, it was brutal for him. He says... We're all human. We all do our duty. When there's no cost to it, honor comes easy then. Yet sooner or later in every man's life, there comes a day when it's not so easy, a day when he must choose. And that's a day he's got to compromise. This is that day for John. Is he a Stark? Is he a brother of the Night's Watch? And it's not going to be the last time that he has to make that choice. Eamon, in giving John this counsel and trying mm -hmm. to help shape the way that John thinks not only about this moment, but really about the entire course of the rest of his life. He, as you said, tells John a little bit about his own personal history because John pulls his, like, you know, classic emo. You don't no know. One you don't know. You 102-year-old man. What do you know about life? And it sets up one of the really beautiful quotes from, from Eamon. He says, I will not tell you to stay or go. Yeah. You must make that choice yourself and live with it for the rest of your days as I have. And we see in that moment, we hear in his voice how he never found peace. Yeah. He had to make the choice. He made the one that he thought was right. But it's not one that he's ever been able to live comfortably with. It gnaws away at him. It eats away at him just like the cold. And... The other interesting thing about this Eamon exchange is that that line, if the day should ever come when your Lord Father was forced to choose between honor on the one hand and those he loves on the other that you that you just recited, well, that is what Ned just yep. had to do, right? That's exactly what's playing out for Ned down in King's Landing. Varys is imploring him to say that Joffrey is the king, go take the black, and Ned is horrified. He says, how, how can I succumb basically to the woman who dishonored yeah. Robert, my dearest friend, who just killed all my men, right? It's, it's, an, it's not even palatable for, for him to consider. But Varys doesn't want him to serve Cersei. Once again, he says, I want you to serve the realm. We heard this from him last episode. We're hearing it from him again. He's not focused on specific people, specific houses, Overtly, we know, of yep. course, that he is he is focused on the Targaryens, but he's thinking about the realm. And Ned says to him, you think my life is some precious thing to me that I'd trade my honor. I grew up with soldiers. I learned how to die a long time ago. And Varys knows what button to push. He says, yeah. what, of, what of your daughter's life, my lord? Is that a precious thing to you? So Ned chooses ultimately to compromise the things that we, every decision he has made along the way here tell us one thing that ned values his integrity and his sense of yep. honor above everything else in the world and yet when faced with the dilemma that Eamon just laid out for john honor or family even ned the most honorable fool in the realm still chooses family 
this is the, the Shakespearean level tragedy of Ned is that he lives his life by a code that is quote unquote right and good and it keeps getting him into trouble and the one time he finally realizes, oh, I've got to, I've got to compromise my, my beliefs, my right. mind, it doesn't help him. Right. Compromise can, it forces you to decide what you think is right, right. but it often just shows you what is wrong. Yep. <laughs> and that's a tough way to learn a lesson, but there aren't really easy lessons in this story. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Maester, so long as we are podcasters, treason yes. shall uh, never go unpunished <laughs> in this realm. But we do not want to punish the battles that were taking place off camera. Ned's execution gets most of the play off of this That's episode, right. but a lot of other really important things happen, you know? Titles, 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 budget, 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 right? We don't see the battles the way that book readers really got to appreciate the fullness of what was happening between Rob and Tywin's troops. Please assemble the Conclave, take us to the Citadel, and teach us everything that we need to know about the Battle of the Whispering Wood, which in this episode again unfolds largely off screen. The way to think about the Riverlands within the context of this war is as the crossroads of Westeros. The region shares borders with the North, with the Westerlands, with the Crownlands and the Reach, and is the meeting point of the three tributaries of the Trident River. As such, when wars happen in Westeros, most of the fighting just naturally takes place in the Riverlands. And the Battle of the Whispering Wood, the maneuverings that lead up to it, is a perfect example of this. So while this is the first clash between the Stark and Lannister armies proper, it's not the first battle of the war, which will eventually become to be called the War of the Five Kings. The Lannisters have been campaigning against the Tullys for a while. We saw in a previous episode that Tywin had sent Jaime to go besiege Riverrun, which is the ancestral home of, of Cat Stark, nay Tully. And on the way to doing that, the Kingslayer, uh, taking his army out of the Westlands, he smashes a Tully army at the Golden Tooth, which is this pass that guards the pathway between the Westerlands and the Riverlands. Definitely sounds like one of the names of Joffrey's stupid swords. Well, it would be like the Bloody Tooth. <laughs> uh, Jamie then marches to Riverrun and besieges the castle. Tywin, meanwhile, marches north because he knows Rob Stark has just emerged from the neck and he's coming down. Now, here's where the topography of the Riverlands comes into play. The Tullys and their banner houses are crucial allies for the Starks. you got to remember the Starks are fighting far from home. They don't have supplies here. They need men. They're outnumbered anyway. They need to relieve the Siege of Riverrun in order to have a, a chance in the wider war against the Lannisters. The problem is Riverrun is on the other side of the Trident River. It's down the river and on the other side. This is why they need Walder Frey, because the twins are the only crossing for hundreds of miles. The next crossing, the Ruby Ford, is way down, and who's between them and it? The army of Tywin Lannister, who is rushing north. Now, so Rob looks at this, and he has to understand that he risks being trapped between the river and Tywin's army. It's not a great place to be. His solution, though, is elegant and ruthless. You'll remember previously that uh, Rob let a 
Lannister scout go, but not before letting that scout see the map that he had out. This map suggested that he intended to march his entire army down his side of the river and and attack Tywin. That's not what he wanted to do. What he actually did was detach 2,000 men from his force, had them march quickly overnight towards Tywin, steal a march on him so they'd have the element of surprise and strike Tywin. Tywin thinks, this is Rob Stark. Here, he, he's here all of a sudden. Uh, what do we do? Now, they managed to, uh, to organize and wipe out that force, but while they were tied up, Rob had struck his deal with Walder, they had crossed the river, and now they're marching down on River Run. They managed to ambush Jamie, and Jamie didn't even know they were in the area. It was an incredible move from Rob, who should not be this good at warfare, should not have this much experience, but really does. It's just a grand victory. And not only that, he wins probably the biggest prize on the board, Jamie Lannister, who you could argue is the most dangerous man in the in the realm. It's not the battle is not without its costs. Certain knights and lords who are struck down, uh, their families are grieved, and this will come into play later, but it's just the first step in the legend of Rob Stark, the young wolf. Hard to oversell how big of a prize Jamie really is. Yeah. One of the, what, two or three most valuable hostages you could possibly, possibly take have. in the entire realm. And we learn this because, of course, the way that they that everybody talks about Sansa yeah. and even Arya, because she's, she's a mystery. Not everybody knows where right. she... No one knows where she is. Eh, they're just girls, right? right? But a man, a fabled warrior, Tywin Lannister's son, the queen's sister. Heir to Castor Lock, in, in theory. In theory. The, where does Rob learn how to do all this? Because it's definitely not from fucking Ned. Like, how does he come by this savvy? How does he come by these instincts? It's not just that he lets the guy go after looking at the map. He confirms well, right. how many men, how, how high did you get? That's kind of right? like a little, when you were counting. That's, that's almost, you would say, dishonorable. Mm-hmm. Playing the game. That's right. Playing the game. So that's, that's how is he better than Ned? It's because right. he's not a fucking honorable fool. And also like everyone Ned. in his tent is like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Are you touched, boy? Are you touched, boy? The 16-year-old kid. It's 17. a cute, one of the cute moments in that scene is when Theon kind of flips the map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's cover this. Don't cheat off my test. Right. He's not getting out of here with his head. Okay. Maester, as much as uh, I, certainly, and I think all sure. of us would like to ogle the Kingslayer with you for a little longer. It's time to head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven. We're going to share seven of our favorite insights and observations and hindsight nuggets from this episode. You go first. What's number one? Tyrion and Shay and Tywin. And we learn the uh, history of Tyrion's starstruck marriage. His first marriage. Uh, not a great story. Also, like, kind of weird to tell someone that on the first time, you know, on the first meeting. Number two. Great Tyrion line here. Yeah. Surely there are ways to have me killed that will be less detrimental to the war effort. This is when he finds out that Tywin is putting him and the Hill Tribes in And by the way, the that, that was what, what he, Tywin was trying to do. He's, he's two birds with one stone right here. Get rid of these Hill Tribes. Get rid of my son, maybe. The one of the true sad things about the battles taking place off screen, we yeah. don't get to see Tyrion in action. There's this little cheat, yeah. you know, a little, a little boo-boo to the head. You get knocked out. Oh, and well. They, and then they steal the uh, the scene from Gladiator when Maximus is on the cart right there. In Ty- anyway. <laughs> Tywin looks great, yeah. though. Tywin looks great in his armor. Resplendent. All right, number three. Big episode for Valerian Steel, which yes. will uh, play a major role going forward. John gets Longclaw. 
Ned gets killed by the Stark Ancestral Sword Ice, which is, that really sucked. Uh, number four, in a really incredible amount of Red Wedding foreshadowing in this episode. Ooh. Okay, just incredible. Expect nothing of Walder Frey, and you'll never be surprised. Well, they really underestimated this motherfucker. Yeah, they really go, did. He can go lower than, than even you think. Cat says, I've known Lord Walder since I was a girl. He'd never harm me. Come back. Unless there's profit in it. Exactly. Your boy's too proud to come before me. Your boy's me. too proud to come before me. That's what Frey says to Cat. He basically hates Rob right from the jump. All of these little seeds being planted about how this dude cannot be trusted yep. is a total fuckboy is <laughs> out to get these people, has no allegiance, no real loyalty, is willing to compromise his own integrity and anybody else around him. And yet, yeah. they have no choice, no and choice. so here they are. Number five. We don't really get to see Tyrion in action like we do in the books, but his battle speech is a kind of fun appetizer for his really great speech at the Blackwater and the Hill Tribes chanting, Half man, half man, half man. <laughs> will never not be funny. Sixth, I just, uh, I need to get on my soapbox for just a second here. All right. I don't want to go all PETA on you guys, but it's always really bugged me and really upset me that Arya kills a pigeon. She's looking for food. She's on the run, right? You do what you got to do. I get that. A girl's got to eat. Bowl of brown, important. Yes. You got to get the meat for the bowl of brown. I get it. I understand how flea bottom (laughs) works. However... When she sees the crowd start rushing through the streets, making their way to the Septibailer, whispers, murmurs, what's going on? They're taking the hand. She knows that's her father. She knows something is up, and she wants to go see what's about to happen. I get that. That all makes sense. You just killed the fucking bird, though. Don't just drop it on the pavement and run away. What did that animal give its life for if not to fill your belly? It's just going to get trampled on and turned Someone's into... going to s- eat it, though. No, because people are going to... There's like a stampede. They're going to flatten oh, it, and its true. life is just for naught. And in a world full of sacrifice and death and despair, it's just such a waste. It is sad. Really sad. All right, number seven. Finally, Aemon's backstory, which is awesome and gives you a window into the past when the Targaryens were on top. And it really, you know, you, you could not imagine the Targaryens being brought down by any. They were just, they were an institution. They had ruled for over 200 years at that point. Um, the dragons were gone, but they still had that power and that cachet and. You know, just like a really cool scene. You know, Maester Eamon, also one of the very, very, very few people in, in the history of Westeros to turn down ruling the the country. Just more focused on those ravens. He's smart. You know, and those scrolls. That's the right move. Those scrolls that Sam is reading. All right, Jason, the day has come. We must choose. It's time to crown this week's champion. Every episode we are honoring the person who we think played the game the best who advanced his or her cause in the most tangible or impressive way this week easy choice for us guys the winner of our champion's purse is rob stark and his beautiful auburn curls (laughs) he did it man he did he did it he took the twins unbeaten Took the twins, even at the expense of his own happiness. Okay, that's notable. Outsmarts Tywin. That is 
incredibly impressive. The interesting thing about Rob is for being a Stark, he's able to put himself in the shoes of his enemy. He understands that Tywin likely underestimates him. And he's able to use that as a way to draw Tywin into his trap. Right. It is one of the only useful things the cat does when yeah. she gives him a little bit of a Tywin primer. His yeah. role in the what went down That's at right. the end of Robert's Rebellion and the kind of savage monster that he's he's not afraid to be. Right. She says the years have not made him kinder. Rob knows what kind of foe he's facing and is willing to do what's ultimately what's necessary. Tywin, it's sort of uncharacteristic because he is usually very calculating, yeah. very aware, but he really underestimates Rob despite Tyrion doing his best to tell him that he's being a little foolish. Keeps calling him a green boy, right? Making a lot of weird wolf references. Well, you think about it, he sees an opportunity to end this thing right here, right now. If he can right. get if he can get Rob trapped between the river and his army with Jamie at the walls of River Run, this thing's over. Wait. It's over right now. As we said, his men capture Jamie, one yeah. of the most valuable hostages in the realm. Rob is then smart enough to not fall into Jamie's trap right. and bite on the single combat offer. And then best of all, Rob earns major points for making a great speech. We're real suckers here yeah. for a great speech, in case you haven't been able to pick up on that yet. He says, one victory does not make us conquer us. Did we free my father? Did we free my sisters? He doesn't really care about his sisters, though. He kind of does. does. He, he does. I mean, but he's willing, he's willing to like let it slide, but he loves them. Come on. One victory does not make us conquer us. All right, friends. We came before you to confess our treason. And you let us keep our heads. We're very grateful. We hope that you had as much fun today as we did, though it was not a very cheerful conversation. Let's be honest. A lot of dead people. A lot of, lot of dead pigeons and dead Neds. When Theon is your, is your uh, comic relief, it's a tough episode. That's, that's rough. Really, really yeah. rough. Guys, we hope that you join us next time. We will be discussing the season one finale, episode Ooh. 10, Fire and Blood. But before we go... Gotta play a quick drinking game. Your turn, my mysterious foreign beauty. I don't want to play. It's fun. Look at the fun we're having. Your mother was a whore. <laughs> Drink. Tyrion. <laughs> imagine, guys, imagine reading the script and being like, your father beat you. <laughs> Your father left the family when you were very young, never to return. You once loved a woman many years ago, but it turned out badly, so you never let yourself love again. Oh, wait, that's me. Your mother was a whore. <laughs>